There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in those four Gospels, Jesus tells 46 parables. And with one exception, he never names people, characters in the parables. Think of last week. We had the parable of the dishonest steward. We have the dishonest steward whom the parable is named after, the master and the master's debtors. Well, the famous parable of the sower, it begins with the sower went out to sow. The one exception is the rich man and Lazarus, the parable from our gospel today. So why did Jesus make this exception? Why only in this one parable does he name one of the characters? I would venture to say that we find the answer in the final line from our gospel. If they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone should rise from the dead. These words are prophetic in more ways than one. In John chapter 11, Lazarus, the friend of Jesus who lived in Bethany, a town outside of Jerusalem, the brother of Mary and Martha, dies. By the time Jesus gets there, he has been dead and in the tomb for four days. Jesus tells them to remove the stone, and he simply says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus, a man dead and in the tomb, four days, walks out. How did people respond? Many believed. Many believed Jesus is who he says he is. Many were persuaded by the one who could speak the word, and a dead man returns to life. Many, but not all. Because word gets back pretty quickly to the chief priests and the Pharisees. And instead of objectively looking at this astounding evidence, they reason that if Jesus continues doing such things, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and destroy their temple and nation. So they conspire to kill Jesus. And sadly, this is something that happened often in Jesus' ministry. He would work a public miracle, the healing of a paralytic, restoring sight to the blind or hearing to the deaf, casting out demons, I mean, fill in the blank. And many, some, many would believe in him, but not all. I mean, there was one example of Pharisees accusing him of doing these miracles by satanic power rather than by divine power. And this phenomenon, it isn't just limited to Jesus' time. We've seen it throughout history, this obstinacy, this refusal to acknowledge that God exists and is at work in the world. There's one example, a rather sad one, of a 19th century French novelist named Emile Zola. He didn't believe in God, and he was fervently anti-Catholic. This was the late 19th century, the 1890s. And so he, he especially despised the devotion to Our Lady of Lourdes, where Our Lady had appeared to Bernadette, St. Bernadette, in this small town in France in 1858. And in the shrine that was later set up, miraculous, cur- uh, miraculous cures have occurred there ever since. And so he travels to Lourdes in, in 1892, to find material for a book that will lampoon belief in this apparition. But then the unexpected happens. He witnesses two miracles. There was an 18-year-old girl named Marie who was 
uh, on the verge of death. She was afflicted with three seemingly incurable ailments. She had lupus in its advanced stage, pulmonary tuberculosis, and a leg ulceration. The girl went to the baths. There are these designated places at the shrine where people can bathe in the water uh, from the spring that flows in the grotto. And she emerged from that completely cured, which was later verified medically. And she, who was on death's door, would go on to live decades and decades. And it's accepted as one of the official miracles at Lourdes. If that wasn't enough, a second woman suffering from late stages of tuberculosis also was cured during Zola's time in Lourdes. And after the second miracle, one of the doctors at the medical clinic there said, well, what do you think of these two? And he said, were I to see all the sick in Lourdes cured, I would not believe in a miracle. You know, Zola's sad case, it gives us an example of the lengths to which some people will go to deny the existence of God as well as his activity in the world. Zola's sad case reminds us that sometimes we don't believe because we don't want to, because we don't want to change. The truth makes a claim upon us. And if Jesus really raised Lazarus from the dead, if Jesus himself really rose from the grave on the third day, then he is God and has absolute divine authority. I must listen to his word. I must conform my life to the revelation of he who is true God, true man, he who cannot deceive nor be deceived. And the miracles that Jesus performed, the miracles that God does in every age from time to time, they are signs to help us see that he is truly spoken. He works these miracles as a sign of the truth of the faith. They are reasons for believing that Jesus is who he says he is, that he has truly founded the church. But as Abraham informs us, and as the sad case of Emil Zola illustrates, miracles are, are only aids to those who honestly seek the truth. They're not a trump card which will force a hardened heart to believe. If they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone should rise from the dead. The rich man chose not to listen to the sacred scriptures. He chose to worship luxury and comfort, wealth and pleasure. He chose to live as if these goods alone were his God and would make him happy. He chose to ignore the warning of scriptures that he's his brother's keeper and he ought to care for the poor, especially the poor, that is, right at his doorstep. I mean, how easy would it have been to give him some food and some basic care? He chose to say day after day, not my problem. I have my own things to worry about. You know, the message of this parable, really, it's threefold. The first and most obvious one is that we are, must be shaken out of our complacency we must repent of any self-indulgence and any lack of generosity to the poor. We do have an obligation to care for those who have less than us, to give of our time, our talent, our treasure to the poor. But secondly, the parable is a stark reminder that there are eternal consequences for our action, our inaction in life, and that once this life is over, there is no more time to put things right. Thirdly and finally, this parable is a call, calls us to start paying heed to the word of God, the sacred scriptures today. 
God has spoken in a way that's intelligible to us. He reveals these truths that are necessary for salvation, but he won't force us to listen to him. He won't force us to change. He will respect our free will. We must choose to listen to God rather than our own selfish desires for comfort or luxury, for for pleasure or fill in the blank. Let us pray that we might remember that we are our brother's keeper and let us resolve to listen to his word daily so that he can transform us into the saints he created us to be, saints whose ultimate homeland and destiny is heaven, saints uh, who are called to rejoice with God forever.